uh, then I might have been, not have been here this morning, but it's so good to be here this morning and to be able to bring this message this morning. And it's been a busy week for me. We've been uh, moving, uh, been taking all week a lot longer than I thought it would. And we're still settling. We still got a lot of stuff in boxes, still things we have to find around the house and things like that. Just really busy. And then this, this next week's going to get even busier with the, uh, my other job as a, at being bivocational and teaching at the school with in-service getting started over there. So it's going to be busy, but I'm very excited. I'm very excited to begin um, serving here as the pastor. And uh, it is a new beginning for me, and it's a new beginning for this church. And it's a, it's a time of excitement, and it's, uh, I'm so happy to be able to be entrusted with this position of stewardship. And this morning, I want us to look at uh, the principle of stewardship as seen in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 in your Bible this morning. As believers, we're all stewards of God's kingdom. And this kingdom of, of God is not an earthly kingdom. It's not the church ruling over the world. Uh, not at this time in history. But it, in fact, Christ referred to that um, in his trial before Pilate. He said if his kingdom was not of this world, otherwise his servants would fight to defend it. In Luke 19, 11 through 27, we discover three actions of Jesus referred to in his parable or pictured by his parable of the ten pounds. And that parable instructs and encourages us in our stewardship of the kingdom of God. Let's look. Um, let's, be, let's open in prayer again for the message. Dear Lord, we thank you again for everyone who is here, for the time that they are able to be here this morning. I pray it, uh, during this time that uh, you'll focus our hearts on your word, on the preaching of your word now, and that you um, direct me and enable me and strengthen me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and speak through your word and through the words that, uh, that you lead me through, through the preparation and, and at this time now to encourage our hearts, to, to stir us up and to uh, move us to live our lives for you and to be good stewards for you and for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, the first action of Jesus that we see here referred to in his parable or pictured by his parable is that Jesus has entrusted his disciples, believers, with the stewardship of his kingdom. Let's look at verses 11 through 14, starting with verse 11 of Luke chapter 19. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So here we see the purpose being introduced for this sermon, for this parable of Jesus. And there's a similar parable to this one. Sometimes it may be confused to be the same parable. It's actually a different parable called the parable of the talents. And all week I was uh, thinking about this. Uh, probably didn't put as much study as I normally would with all the distractions, running back and forth to grocery stores, Home Depot, and back to uh, Granite to get all our stuff out, and still trying to get a few odds and ends and cleaned out over there. And, uh, but I was thinking about this this week, and even in my mind, I was thinking about the parable of talents, and then this one, and looking at the two of them, and choosing this one for this morning's sermon. And... Uh, the parable in Matthew 25 is the parable of the, of the talents. And it's a different parable, we know for sure, because it clearly says here in Luke 19 that they were nigh to Jerusalem. And you see later in chapter 19, in verse 28, you'll see the, the triumphal entry, the Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. In Matthew 25, Jesus has already entered Jerusalem. So that parable comes at, and it's actually given at the Mount of Olives. Here the parable seems to be at Zacchaeus' house or shortly after his visit with Zacchaeus in Luke 19. So it's two different parables, two different times. Uh, it's similar but different in that uh, in this parable, we're going to see 
um, equal amounts given to his servants for stewardship, one pound each. In Matthew, one servant's given five, another one's given another amount, and another servant's given only one. And here, they're each given one pound, and they produce different amounts. So it's different. Different uh, uh, Here, it's uh, the idea of equal po- uh, opportunity. In Matthew, it's the idea of according to each one's ability, they're entrusted with more responsibility. And here, you'll see that each one is rewarded according to the amount uh, that they um, their faithfulness, according to their level of faithfulness and fruitfulness for Jesus or for the nobleman in the parable representing our Lord. And so Jesus gives this parable to the disciples. And it's important to see that there's a distinction here. Um, and the purpose, the purpose of this parable you see at the end of verse 11, because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And there's some even today that, that have the idea or the theory that's not necessarily correct because it, um, we have to remember that nothing takes God by surprise. God knows everything that's going to happen. He gives man a free will in deciding, but he knows before man decides what's going to happen. He's not surprised when we make the choices we make. He gives us that free will and ability to make those choices, but God's not surprised by that. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. And so God had a plan for the church age, the age that we are now in, in history. The establishment of the church that, goes, that starts in Acts and is foretold and described by Jesus in the Gospels. And here the disciples were thinking incorrectly that Christ's kingdom on earth that is referred to in the, both in the Old Testament and New Testament and even more specifically in the book of Revelation about his kingdom that is going to, where Jesus is going to physically rule on the earth in Jerusalem, on the throne of David, that that is about to happen. That's what the disciples are expecting. They're not expecting, even though Jesus, you know, we saw this uh, several weeks ago, but um, when, I, when I brought a uh, message, I mentioned the fact that uh, uh, from Matthew 16, I believe it was, uh, about Jesus telling Peter that he was going to suffer and the disciples that he was going to suffer and die. And Peter rebuked him and said, no, how, this, it's far from you. No, that's not going to happen. So Jesus had been telling his disciples he's going to die. He's going to suffer. But they, don't, they still don't get it. They still don't see it coming. They still are expecting what the Jews as a nation were expecting, which was that the Muslim, when the Messiah was to come, he was going to set up a physical kingdom and reign over the earth. And so the disciples believe that Jesus is the Messiah correctly. They correctly believe Jesus is the Messiah, as foretold in the Old Testament. And they're correct on that. But they incorrectly believe that Jesus is about to set up his physical kingdom and rule on the earth, you know, overthrow Roman rule and set up the Jewish kingdom, ruling over the throne of David and ruling over the world. And his disciples were expecting to be great rulers in that kingdom. And one day they will be in that physical kingdom, in the, in the millennial reign of Christ on earth. But that is not going to start immediately here. And so Jesus understands that they are thinking that and planning for that. And he wants to correct that understanding. And this is also for our benefit today. Not just for the disciples back then, but it's very encouraging, very inspiring when we consider how this pertains to us today as well. And, and sometimes people think uh, there, there's a theory, theories out there, at least that were discussed in seminary, about, well, what if, and of course, what if, um, it can be a dangerous question, but um, the question was, what if the Jews had all, as a nation, believed in Jesus as their Messiah? Would he immediately have set up his kingdom? We don't need to ask what if because God knew that wasn't going to happen. You know, uh, perhaps, you know, we, we could speculate, well, if, if the Jews would have acknowledged him as Messiah, his kingdom would have started right away and there would have been no church age. Well, we don't need to consider that because God knew what the Jews were going to decide. So he planned ahead of time for the church age and for the, for the gospel to go out to all the earth. The Great Commission to be given to his disciples, the believers, to the church, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. 
He planned for that. He knew that the Jews as a nation were about to be set aside, not forever, not being replaced by the church. All the promises of the Old Testament that refer to the nation of Israel, they still refer to the nation of Israel. The church does not take the place. And our, our doctrine, uh, our statement of faith for Bible, the Bible Church of Lakeshore clearly says, in simple words, the, the Israel is Israel and the church is the church. And so I do not believe any kind of replacement theory or replacement uh, doctrine that we go back to the Old Testament and say, okay, now this refers to the church. No, it referred to Israel and refers to Israel. Uh, certain prophecies in the Old Testament are still to be fulfilled. God still has a plan and a purpose for his people, the Jews. But his way in revealing himself to man, to the world, changed from being through the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and through the law and through the prophets to now it's through the church and through the New Testament, through the, complete, the, the word of God that we now have and the translations of it. And so God has now placed the church and us each as believers, as stewards, as his servants, his representatives on earth. Like the nation of Israel was the light of the world in the Old Testament, now the church is the light of the world in the New Testament, and in now, in this current church age, until Christ returns. And this parable gives us that picture. And it's given to his disciples here and given to us today to help us understand. Because the disciples, they were not understanding this. And so, and this is encouraging for us as we look at verse 12 and we see the nobleman that represents Jesus. It represents God the Son. Let's look at verse 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. So notice, the nobleman entrusts his servants is ten servants here with occupying till I come. Occupy doesn't have the idea of uh, an uh, uh, army occupying. It doesn't have an idea of martial law or any of that. This word occupy, and many of you who have other translations it might re, uh, give you that clear idea, has the idea of occupying yourself. In other words, being busy, being fruitful, um, using your time and resources to serve the purpose for which the Master has given us um, and placed us as his servants. And so that's the idea here given to these servants. They are each given a pound, um, and the, the pound here is, um, in, in your if you have the King James, that's the old King James, that's what the, the word is. Uh, might be a different word in some other translations. Uh, the original word refers to uh, amina, uh, which is approximately uh, three months' salary. And the pound here is, of course, speaking of the British pound. Uh, I don't know if, you ha if someone had a really uh, like modern paraphrase, it might be in dollars. I don't know. But uh, th this is one of those cases they did not transliterate it, but they rather interpreted it into a certain amount of money, which, of course, back in the 1600s, uh, 1611, when the King James was translated, the pound, I'm sure, was worth a lot more than it is today. So according to, to, to my research, it says probably about three months' salary uh, is, what, is the amount of money that the nobleman entrusts each of his servants with. So they're given that three-month salary and told to be busy with it, to invest it, to be fruitful with it. And the picture here for us is that as God's servants, as believers in Jesus Christ, as the church, we are all entrusted as his stewards, as his representatives, with the time and resources we are given, with the gifts and abilities that we are given, with the opportunities that we are given, with the relationships, which the, with the, con, the contacts and connections that we are entrusted with in this life, that's like the pound that's given to each of these. <clears throat> and then, of course, it, it's, the, it's the same idea as the other parable in Matthew, where each servant is given according to their ability. They're given different levels. One's given th five, I believe. One, another one's given three, and another one's given one. 
Here we only have in the results, different results, but in the, um, in the giving of the amount, it's, it's all seen to be the same, one pound to 10 servants. And then when you see the results, we only see three come into focus, two that uh, one, one produces uh, 10 and one produces uh, five and another one only pr- brings back the original amount of money. Uh, but the, the principle is the same, that we are entrusted with stewardship. We are entrusted with what God has given us, and we're expected to use it for his glory, for his benefit, to be fruitful with it. So that's the principle here, is that uh, we are to be busy for Jesus. We are to be serving him with our lives and the opportunities that he gives us. Uh, to bring glory to him, to bring more souls to know him, to, to bring glory to his name and increase the understanding of his teachings and the following of his teachings. And so the first action we see here is Jesus entrusting his servants with stewardship. Jesus, um, remember, like the nobleman, Jesus left. He went up to heaven. Um, that's you see that in verse 12. A certain noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. That, that's a similar principle, same principle we have with Jesus. He has gone up to heaven now, and he's entrusted us as believers, us as the church, with stewardship. That we have the ability to bring more souls into his kingdom and disciple them, bring them into a closer relationship with Christ. Because each, each soul that comes to Jesus, and as that, soul, that person becomes closer in his walk with Christ, that person affects other people. Uh, I, remember, I remember a song growing up when I was in Sunday school. Uh, if you tell two people, and I tell two people, and they tell two people, and that person tells two people, the more and more God's family will grow. I don't remember all the lines to it. I know it rhymed, uh, but it was a great principle, and that's the principle here that we see in these servants growing the amount that they are given for the nobleman. And so Jesus, like the nobleman, he's gone up to heaven, and it says here the nobleman goes to receive to himself a kingdom. And Jesus, he is, we know this from Acts, uh, when Stephen is martyred, we know that he, Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God. We see that referred to in Acts 7, verse 56. Uh, it's also mentioned when Jesus is accused of um, blasphemy by the Sanhedrin and sentenced to die, but then taken to Pilate, of course, for that final sentence. But Jesus mentions that he's sitting. It mentions that in other places in the New Testament as well. He sits at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven, in heaven. And also in John uh, 14, 1 through 3, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for us. And he is using, uh, right now, each of us in our lives and the events that we encounter during our lives to prepare a place for us. Because we'll see that principle here in this passage. That our place in heaven is being prepared partly on how we respond to the opportunities he gives us in this life. I believe that each event in our life, that God has a will for us to, to follow. And as, as we are faithful, as we respond, as we learn, and we're not perfect, we all make mistakes. And, but as we learn from those mistakes and as we move forward and as we encounter difficulties and trials and sufferings and we grow in our walk, in our relationship, as we grow closer and we, as we become more fruitful in the, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and uh, as we reach, as we strive to, to use opportunities to share the gospel with others and to, to become more like Christ, that's what the word Christian means, little Christ. As we become testimonies, good stewards for him, he, he, he's going to bring more opportunities, sometimes in the, in the form of trials and temptations, tribulations, uh, sufferings. 
and uh, sometimes in, uh, in oppor greater opportunities for service, uh, opportunity to witness to someone, an opportunity to, to serve in the church in some way. For me, it's the, now the opportunity to serve in this church as pastor. And there's been many things in my life that have prepared me for this, that God has been working. And I can look back and say, I see now how the God was using that time, even though it was a difficult time. Uh, back in, in 2010, late 2010, is when I especially and definitely felt the call of God to pursue pastoral ministry. And then I began following up on that by applying to go to seminary. As I had been a history major when I was a bachelor and then had been teaching in Christian schools for, uh, it was in my third year at that time. And seminary wasn't easy um, because uh, the summer before I started a seminary, I got married. And then, uh, and then the second year of the seminary, uh, we had our first daughter. The third year we had uh, our second daughter. And so it was very busy. I was a full-time seminary student, also trying to work a full-time job and support uh, my wife and growing family and also spend time with the family and study and do all my homework and projects. And it was a very busy time of life. And I believe God helped use that for this busy time of life that I'm entering now as, uh, as the new pastor here and also bivocationally, also teaching. And... And also the couple years after seminary that I spent at Granite, some of the difficult times there and learning, sometimes learning ways that you know, a new pastor should not lead the church. And, uh, but also learning that you know, now God wants to use the past to prepare me for the future, but not focus on the past, focus on what's before. You know, not, my focus is now not on the past, not on Granite, or, uh, but now it's... My focus is on the Bible Church of Lakeshore, and as well as, as, as my other te Christian school teaching position, but to, and how God wants to use me here, and what God wants me to do with the time and the, the abilities, the resources that he gives me now as a steward for him, as a representative for him. And this church has also been prepared, you know, through the, the 46, 47 years of having a great pastor here who began this church and, and provided with the church with great uh, teaching and leadership and then going through a difficult time of about six years, um, you know, the, and, and, and going through all that, everything, whether good or bad, I believe is preparing for what God has next. And that God always has a plan. And I think I mentioned that last week as well. God, we're at whatever point in life we find ourselves. Whether we're at the, closer to the beginning or closer to the end, God always has a will, always has prepared us for something that he wants us to do. That we are his servants, we are his stewards, and we're never retired from being his steward, from being his servant, from being a Christian. Until... And, and, we're never retired from that. When we get to heaven, God will still have responsibilities for that, for us, as his stewards, as his servants. And we'll see that, that our service here leads to future service in the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom, God, uh, Jesus' millennial kingdom on earth, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And I believe this is a picture of that as it refers to in verse 11. This is the purpose of this parable. And so right now, what God has for us to do is to be faithful stewards, be faithful servants, that God has a plan for the Bible Church of Lakeshore in fulfilling the Great Commission and doing our part. And in that uh, each one has certain abilities and certain resources to bring to, to God and to the work of the church. And I appreciate how involved the people of this church are. Um, both in, in their private lives and, and the testimonies that I've heard of, of reaching out to, to lost souls and loved ones and friends and also to the physically contributing to the church and, and, and all those, again, if I started naming all the names, I'd get in trouble because I might leave someone out, but all of those who, have, who even yesterday were, were here helping out and all, of, all during the summer and uh, probably the year, just uh, trustees, deacons, uh, and, 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 and spouse, spouses and, and uh, everyone who has contributed in some way 
to the church as a whole or to, to friends in the church, members in the church, anything that someone can do, even someone who all they can do is pray, that is stewardship, that is serving God. And even last night, I was very encouraged by a prayer that I heard on the radio. Uh, while I was pre- uh, preparing this message, I, was, I had the radio on, and um, uh, the announcer, the radio person came on and, and, and prayed specifically for all the pastors who are going to be bringing a message tomorrow. And she prayed very specifically, very fervently, you know, that God would work through the pastors and their messages tomorrow. And that just really encouraged me that someone's praying for me as a pastor in the Baltimore area specifically, you know, a local radio station. And, uh, and that, that spoke to me, that encouraged me. And I know that, um, that the power of prayer, we can never underestimate that, that that moves the hand of God. Prayer really makes a difference. And even if someone it cannot, cannot move out of their house or out of, out of the hospital bed or someone, even there, God has a will. God has a plan. God has something for us to do as his servant, even if it's only prayer and only, again, that's, a, that's not the right word to use for it because prayer is so important and so powerful. And sometimes we can become so busy serving God in so many other ways that uh, we have to remember to set aside a portion of our day to pray. And uh, so even if it's prayer, if, it's that, if that is uh, the one thing that we can do, we all have um, something God wants us to do for him. And prayer is something that he wants all of us to do. And so that, that's, that's the idea of this stewardship and each servant being given a pound and being told, occupy till I come. And Jesus is coming again. And we're to occupy. We're to be busy till he comes. But notice verse 14. But his, but his citizens hated him. Um, and really the citizens here, I believe, represent the entire world. Uh, that, that Jesus, that God, is the rightful ruler of the entire world. But there are citizens in the world that reject his rule. They, they want to do their own thing. I don't think this is referring to Christians at all here. Um, but his citizens hated him. Notice that. Christians don't hate God. Um, the church does not hate God. So this is the, the world, the unsaved. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So there are some in this world, many, that reject the nobleman's rule. They reject Jesus as their savior. They refuse to submit to God. They, they refuse to submit to God's plan for salvation and God's plan for them to serve him. So that's the first point, is that Je- the first action is that Jesus entrusts his servants with stewardship. The third action of Jesus pictured in this parable, the second, excuse me, action of Jesus pictured in this parable is that Jesus will return and will reward his servants according to their faithfulness. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass that when he had returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. There's going to come a time, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, when we are raptured or after the resurrection, if we, if we are one of those who die, we'll be at the rapture, those will be raised first at the resurrection, although they're to be absent with the bodies and present with Christ. So all those who have died are with Jesus right now, but their bodies, their physical body, is also going to be raised again and reunited with Jesus and, and uh, be changed into a new body at the rapture. And then there's going to follow that uh, judgment seat of Christ, the Bameset seat of Christ, where each servant of Christ, each believer, each Christian is going to give an account, or we all are going to give an account with how we lived our lives. What did we do with our lives that brought glory, that brought profit to Christ and to his kingdom? And that's, 
That's the picture here given by the servants standing before the nobleman when he returns. And what have they done with that three-month salary that they've been entrusted with? It's not their own money just to go spend. It's the, the nobleman's money that they have been given to invest, to use. And so verse 15, And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom... Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And, you know, and I believe that this event is going on during the seven-year tribulation. So maybe it takes seven years for this. I don't know. Uh, because it's outside of human time, it's different. God is not trapped in human time like like we are. He's outside of it, and so it's hard for us to understand. But um, at the end of the tribulation, we're going to have the millennium, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And by that time, the judgment seat of Christ, this time of accounting, this time of reckoning, uh, where uh, we will give an account for how we lived our lives, and then a time of rewards. And part, some of the rewards will be ruling in that thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And notice how, how the picture is presented here in the parable. Verse 16, Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. So he, through his trading, through his investing, he brought ten pounds um, in interest or gain or profit that he had used the one pound he was given. So 10, 10 months, excuse me, 10 times 3, uh, 30 months salary now. It has grown if, if, if one pound is, represents 3 months salary. And he said unto him, Well done, thou, in verse 17, Well done, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over 10 cities. And in Matthew 25, the other parable, the parable of the talents, a different parable, uh, where each one is actually given a different amount to begin with, and then proportionately uh, grows that amount. Here, it's each one's given the same amount, and then some grow it more than others, um, but still the principle of stewardship. And both in that parable and this parable, to he that is faithful in a little will be faithful also in much, is the principle. So if we're faithful in the little things of this life that we are entrusted with, God is going to trust us with greater responsibilities. And I believe that that builds throughout our lives here on this earth and also after this life on earth, that, that this is a picture of some of the responsibilities and the rewards that are waiting in heaven for those who are faithful according to how you are faithful in this life. Uh, verse 17, he said, Well done, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. So notice the proportionality. He grew the pound by ten, and he rules over ten cities. Verse, and then look at verse 18, the same principle with the second servant. And the second came, and saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a nap. Oop, I'm getting ahead of myself. So he said, rule over five cities. So one, another one takes the one pound and multiplies it into five. So he took three months' salary and gets 15 months' salary uh, worth of uh, money for the nobleman. That's the picture of... Uh, that servant. And notice that even though this servant, even though this servant brings half as much with the same amount, notice that Jesus doesn't say to the servant that brings half as much as another individual, even though he was given the same amount, he doesn't say, oh, shame on you. Why didn't you get me 10 pounds? This, guy, this other guy got me 10 pounds. You, you had one pound, just like he did, and you only got me five. And he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He rewards him because he was still faithful. He was still faithful, even though the proportion is different. And, and he's going to reward him according to that proportion, but he still praises him. He does not scold him in the least. It's just the amount of the reward is different, but that's not seen here in a negative, in a negative perspective by Jesus. 
by this parable by the nobleman that you don't see any negativity here. Just um, it is a little bit less a reward, but I think the servant is happy with that as well. You don't see any, any remorse, any regret here. I'll look at verse uh, 18 again. And so the second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, likewise, like he did to the first one, be thou also over five cities. So you see a proportional reward according to the faithfulness of each servant. And that's, that's the second action that we're looking at here is that Jesus will return and he will reward his servants according to their faithfulness. The third action that we see in this parable, uh, picturing an action of Jesus, is that Jesus will judge and punish those who reject his rule and the stewardship that he offers to all those who will become his servants. So some people remember in verse 14, it talks about the citizens who hated him, who hated the noblemen, who rejected his rule. And so the unsaved, they reject Christ's rule altogether. And then there are some who may profess, there's some who may profess to serve him. And they can, and it was mentioned in Sunday school, um, it was mentioned you can fool a person, but you can't fool God. You know, Romans 10, 9, and, and everyone is secure. No one's going to lose their salvation. This is, there's no picture here of this, of someone losing salvation. That's not what's being taught here. Um, but rather, um, it's for someone who, who does not serve faithfully, they might lose rewards and uh, ruling, uh, the, the amount of rule that they're going to have with Jesus, or for someone who just pretends or is not or rejects Jesus altogether, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be punishment and judgment for that. And that's the third principle we see here is that Jesus will judge and punish those who reject his rule and reject being his stewards. And so you see this person's rejecting becoming a steward for, even though he's given that opportunity, he's giving that offer of, here, you take one pound. This is available for you as well. And he rejects the idea. And look what he says. He's going to be judged. This, 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 this third individual is going to be judged. We don't even see the other seven mentioned in this parable that received at one pound, but this one. Look at verse 20. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest thou uh, what thou didst not sow. This seems to be a false view uh, of the nobleman. Um, this seems to be, you know, some people have a false view of God. They're not uh, worshiping the true God. They have a false idea of who God is, and maybe they're making a false profession of faith. Um, maybe that's a picture of here. Maybe it's just a picture of, a, of someone who's a Christian who, who doesn't, you, who is just not, who, um, it, it mentions about the bamacy, about the, our works being tried by fire and gold, silver, precious stones, and then wood, hay, stubble, and some will be saved and yet by fire and they'll, they'll have suffered the loss of their work. Their works don't receive those, the rewards like they would if they had been the type of the caliber like gold, silver, precious stones that is acceptable and pleasing to God, faithful to God, like these first two servants in this parable who, who increased what God gave them. And so perhaps that's a picture of what this is here. But notice that he has that false perception. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man and takest up uh, that thou didst not put down and reapest that thou didst not sow. Verse 22. Notice the nobleman's response. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. So basically he's saying, Okay, you're saying I'm such a harsh person. And that I don't do, that, that I'm going to, if you don't increase what I've given you by enough, I'm going to punish you for that. Okay, so that's what you think. And now notice, he did not punish the, the second individual who brought less than the first individual, even though he's given them more. He rewarded him, just rewarded him proportionally. But this third individual did nothing he, with that pound. Now, he didn't lose it. He still had it and returned it. So he, st- he didn't lose that. He still had it and returned it, but he didn't grow it 
like he was supposed to. And so he said, according to your own words, in other words, you were saying I'm harsh and I'm going to judge you according if you don't measure up. And so you didn't do anything and you're using that as your excuse. Well, according to what you said, I'm going to judge you by that. So, of course, if you're saying I'm harsh and I'm going to treat you if it, according, accordingly, well, that's how you're going to be treated in this case. You're saying that about me, so that's how I'm going to respond to you. Self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. The servant is fearing that if he doesn't earn enough or if he loses some of it, some of the money he's entrusted with, that he's going to be punished. So he does nothing with it when he's supposed to. That was the whole point of being given. He's supposed to use it and, and try to increase it, work toward that. And we saw what the second individual, the, the, the nobleman did not punish the one who brought less. But he does punish the one who does nothing. He, doesn't, he rejects his stewardship. He rejects being the steward, the servant of this money and just returns it. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, and takest up that I did not down, and reaping that I did not sow. So he said, you said all these things about me? Okay, so that's, what we're going, that's how I'm going to respond to what you did. Verse 23. Wherefore, then, gavest not thou my money into the bank? So he said, if you believed all these things, that should have been even more. If you really believed all those things you just said about me, that should have been even more reason for you to have tried to do your best to serve. But instead, you rejected being a servant, and you just took it and rejected that pound that I gave you and gave it back. So taking, uh, so verse 23, Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with usury, or in other words, interest. Verse 24, And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. So, that, so in other words, the bystanders here are saying, that's not fair. That guy already has ten. And here you see a principle of grace, that the person that, that, uh, that yes, that we're rewarded according to our faithfulness, but God also has the grace that he's giving the one with 10 pounds, something that he didn't necessarily work for, and he already has 10, and he's giving him more. And he's, so he's being very gracious to that servant. And then he gives the principle by which he does this in the next verse, verse 24. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and, and give to him that hath 10 pounds, in verse 25. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath 10 pounds, in verse 26. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath, unto every one that hath, hath, excuse me, unto everyone that hath shall be given. And for him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. I think there's a picture here of that, you know, those who accept Christ as their Savior, there's going to be a growth, there's going to be more blessings, more that God has in store for you to do for him in this life and in the afterlife. In heaven and in Christ's millennial kingdom, he has more for us to do. But for those who reject Christ, for those who reject him, for those who reject Stuart, even what they have is going to be taken away. You know, for those who reject Jesus in this life, they reject him as their savior, they reject to become his servant, to, uh, they reject him. You know, the life that they have in this world, that's going to, to go away. And, and look at verse 27. But those my enemies, which would not that I should reign over them. It's referring back to verse 14. But those my enemies, which would not. Notice that they had a choice, they had a will. Would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And so perhaps this third servant, he represents someone who, who, is, who is saved, but yet with the loss of reward, he doesn't get the reward for being a servant because he didn't serve faithfully. And then you see those who reject Jesus completely, those who reject him completely, that their destiny is eternal punishment that they're going to be removed. Um, 
but those my enemies which would not, that I should reign over them, bring them hither, and slay them before me. And we see the principle here. We often think of the God of the, in the Old Testament as being, you know, harsh and, 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 and judging. And, but no, and God in the New Testament, merciful and loving. But no, it's the same God. Same God, same character, same holy loving, merciful God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God does not change, but rather how he uh, reveals himself to man. In the Old Testament, he revealed himself through the nation of Israel and through the law and, and through uh, some of the judgments that we see in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he reveals himself through the church, through his son, Jesus Christ, and through his mercy and his sacrifice and his love for us. But it's still the same God, and we see that in verse 27, that he is still holy and just, and in the end, he's going to punish those who reject him, that everyone is going to have to give an account. First of all, with what we've done with Jesus, have we accepted him as our Savior? Have we accepted his sacrifice for us? For by grace, you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works list any man should boast. That's free. He offers that to everyone freely. And so everyone has to, first, they will, you have to give account for that. And the, ones who, the citizens who rejected Christ, who rejected the nobleman in this parable, picture those who reject Christ and, and their uh, fate here in verse 27. And then those who accept Christ as their Savior those of us who are saved, who are on our way to heaven, we have responsibilities uh, to fulfill in this life. And, uh, and there's so much that we can do. And uh, even, even in prayer, so much that we can do that God wants us to do for him. And of course, always, always, always keep your priorities right. Um, that in serving in serving God, you never want to get to the point where you're, you're neglecting your family because God wants you to take care of your family and love your family. And, and so certainly priorities that uh, God is first, then your family, and then the church and the ministry of the church. But God entrusts each of us as stewards and he is going to reward or punish according to how we respond to Jesus. It's like in this parable, all the people in this parable, in this story that Jesus tells, they're treated by the nobleman according to how they respond to him. His servants are, are rewarded accordingly to how they are faithful or unfaithful. And those who rejected his rule entirely are punished. They're destroyed. They're, they're put to death, executed because they rejected his reign over them. And Jesus is our king. He's the rightful king of everyone. But some who are not believers choose to reject him as their king. And one day they'll give an account for that. For all of us who acknowledge him, for believe, have put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as, our, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, uh, we will also give an account one day and to him for how we have used everything he's given us in this life for him. How have we been his steward, someone who represents him, someone who are, is entrusted with uh, gifts, time, responsibilities, opportunities, uh, resources in this life? How have we cared for that? How have we invested that, like the servants in this parable, for him? And... and especially as it, return, as, as it pertains to the church, to our local church. So having observed now these three actions of Jesus that are pictured in this parable, we now should be encouraged and better understand how we are to serve God faithfully during this life. And first we saw the action of Jesus entrusting us within stewardship and him he has left this earth and he will return and we are in his place on this earth just like when he was on this earth his ministry 
He had a ministry on this earth, a work that he was doing for those three years of his earthly ministry. And now we are entrusted with that ministry as the church, as individual believers. We are entrusted with that ministry on earth today until his return. We are his stewards. We are his servants. And then one day he will return. As we see in that second action, he will return and he will reward us according to our faithfulness. And third, he will judge those who reject. We don't have to worry about, well, what about all those people having a good time and enjoying everything that life has to offer, but they reject Jesus? Their time of accountability is also coming. That's the third action, that Jesus will judge those who reject him and the stewardship that he offers to all who will believe. So let us remember uh, this week, as we, as we go from today, and uh, encourage one another. Let's, uh, let's remember in each of our lives that we will give an account one day and let's use the time that we have uh, spend time in God's word and grow closer to him in our walk, in our relationship. Let, 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 us, let our faith, let it not be just a Sunday thing. Let it not just be religious or, or living a certain way and living according to certain rules and do's and don'ts. But let us make sure that we're growing in a relationship with God, knowing him more and more, through his word and, and seeking him in prayer and seeking to minister to other believers and to the lost, uh, always being ready to share the gospel and praying for one another and praying for the church. And I, I appreciate all those who, who pray for me as, uh, as I begin this new stewardship here as the pastor. And, uh, and uh, pray for for your prayer for me for wisdom and, and strength and, and, and being able to, uh, to balance and to be a good steward of the time uh, and limited time and resources uh, to be able to divide those up right and have proper priorities. And there's so many um, going forward in the church, so many things to do here with uh, the, the you know, needs of the buildings and the property. And, and uh, I, I'm wanting to see uh, a tract, a track, a church track that will put forward and promote the church and so many, and uh, to, to use God, what God has given us wisely and most effectively for him. That's in our individual lives and as a church. And uh, we thank you for, for all that you do toward that end. I pray that we'll be all found faithful stewards when Christ returns. Let's pray.